0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right. And stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24/7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com.
1: Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, and we
2: get the back view of him, and I mean, it's just a mega.
1: Fifty-two yards is a long shot. Uh, magnum Pi, we yeah. named him. No idea. Just but, a mag. Yeah, just a magnum. I'm on camera year we said probably
2: 150 mid-150 yeah same dough from the morning come out with that nine pointer here, here steps out this 90 inch eight point like, <laughs> yeah ah. i'm like okay well you still a buck back there yeah and then i'll step like another 90 inch eight yeah. point i'm like oh, all right <laughs> yeah bro yeah bro yeah. you're like i'm like dear, right there yeah like and he's 30 already yards. 30 yards yeah he, he was literally five yards from the base of the tree. Could have been, had a buck down at 140 in the afternoon back there deep on public. Three does come out pretty early. It was like 245, 24 yard shot, sent to combat veteran. And I tell you what, man, dude, it just smoked. We always get so jacked up when the other person kills. It's just almost like we got it done.
1: Yeah. And when you kill that doe, I was like, hell yeah, man. He come down here to Missouri. I ask homie one more time, I'm like, is it a good buck? And he goes, yeah, real good, solid buck. I'm like, all right, boom. <laughs> and the deer just drops. Sure. Super special to me.
2: Whitetail Legacy Podcast, bringing you back to the hunt
1: and leaving a legacy. Baller rut. All right, here we go. Another episode coming in your ear holes on a Wednesday, hopefully, if you're catching it right off the rip, right off the grill, right off the fresh-ass prime rib. All right, uh, we got bed to dead. um, Jason Campbell on, um, covering some really solid tactics, some really good passion about just going in on public and getting it done. Um, If you're a public land hunter, if you're a mobile hunter, um, some gear talking here. Um, a lot of good, uh, public land tactics, how he goes about going in there and finding these deer, just a super solid dude. I think we could hang out with this guy and talk whitetail for a, a long time. All right, let's get into the people to make this possible. Get in the show. Start off with VIP. Remember that the combat veteran blades are available now. So you can get the fresh combat veterans coming at you. Get a hold of Matt, Cindy, um, VIP website place your orders um and the new veteran or the old two blade veteran is 35 bucks a pack now so if you guys are looking for a broadhead to try out this year 35 bucks pretty safe bet you're gonna love it uh you got the vip shout out
2: yeah this week's shout out is christopher rutledge uh christopher was in the navy for six years and he was discharged after um he had the bottom part of his leg um is now missing so Christopher, um, has definitely sacrificed for this country and, uh, he said he still finds his passion in the outdoors, which is great to hear. Uh, so Christopher, you know, you know, you've, uh, you've been through a lot with that and we appreciate you signing up and I hope your passion for the outdoors is more than it is more than it has been. And, uh, you still get to get out there and enjoy everything, man.
1: Yeah. Huge shout out to you, man. Uh, giving given up a huge sacrifice for this country, me and my family. Um, big shout-out from uh, the White Tail Legacy podcast crew, even the interns in the back controlling the heat. Yeah. It's a little warm in here today. They it is. To, they need to cool it off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the VIP family and Matt and Cindy. Um, ECW calls, all your custom call needs, turkey, goose, duck, deer, he's got it all, EmbryCustomWoodworking.com, check them out. Um, Exodus trail cams you got the trail cam tip of the week yeah the trail cam tip of the
2: week is um, know whether your trail cam that you have is going to be a red flash or a no flash or black flash um, you're going to want them red flash cams you know in the timber for the nighttime. time uh, the red flash is going to be a lot brighter when it goes off at night uh, that no flash is going to be a little dimmer so that'd be a good uh, cam to put out there on the field edge that's something that you can overlook. And um, you know, easy to overlook, especially early season when the foliage is up. Um, you're going to need that cam to give all the flash that it's got. So um, it's going to have a it's going to have less noise in the image and the video with the red flash having all the extra light out there.
1: Yeah, check them out exodusoutdoorgear.com. One thing I think we should mention is a lot of these trail cam tips are coming from Exodus themselves. All of them. Yeah, so they have a ton of great content on their YouTube um, and this is just the way that we what we have learned from them mm-hmm. we just are regurgitating to you I was gonna
2: say I'm not up here just spitballing
1: yeah. like, this, is, this, yeah. is this is facts from this. this is facts from the professionals so uh, I just thought we should shout that out um, huge shout out them for uh, for supporting the podcast and for making an awesome uh, product and just being solid dudes and just putting this information out
2: there yeah, for for regular to know. guys like yeah. us
1: to know because you know a regular guy ain't gonna be like, oh red flash, black flash. Yeah,
2: be like, ah yeah. Yeah. Okay. Until
1: you're like, Oh, someone. deer's not gonna see it.
2: Cool. But yeah. then you put in the timber and you're like, Well, I screwed myself.
1: Yeah. Until until you figure out what you actually need and someone explains it, just kinda like this podcast, you know, he goes into some tactics where he actually breaks down and not just what people say. So Yeah. On that
2: particular segment, Chad was going into like shutter speed and exposure. I'm like, holy shit, like I mean it is
1: deep. He knows he knows his yeah. stuff, so all right, let's get into next level deer supplements. Um, you can check out them at nextleveldeer.com. Um, you can get mineral blocks, mineral or feed, mineral. Um, they had they released a great video on their YouTube. If you're not following yeah. their YouTube, um, about how to set up a mineral site, um, this is something that I know zero about. So I watched the video and I learned something. You know, it's something that we can't do here. So um, there's a lot of good details in that about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Um, you can check them out on YouTube, and uh, get some really solid content from there. Yeah,
2: I like how it was short, sweet, to the point—not you know a ten-minute video of just you know dragging it out right there with eighty-seven
1: transitions and (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ingram's outdoor obsession. Um, all your taxidermy needs. Um, words out. Ingram didn't get a turkey this year either, man. No, he hunted hard. He filmed a couple, get smashed. Yes. yeah uh, he he wasn't successful so we're not the only guys out there struggling and he you know he told me he's like it was good that it happened this way because I've had two good lucks with turkey and I needed a bad year to humble myself and make me want it more next year. So,
2: Does he feel like this is like the bad part and then his deer season is going to be That's as ba- bad as it was <laughs> That's like we, we are?
1: <laughs> I don't know. He killed two bucks last year. I know. So we'll see what happens. Take he's, the
2: scratch turkey season double buck He's got, a, he's got a good
1: plan in. He's got food plots in already. Uh, guy's crushing the game. So yeah. uh, all your taxidermy needs, Ingram's outdoor obsession, um, he has you covered. All right, let's get into the show. All right, we got Jason Campbell on the line from bed to dead. How you doing tonight, man? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Just sat down, poured a drink, and excited to learn something from you. We're going to talk a little uh, Michigan public land hunting. Like I said, we had an episode like this before, and it did really well. Our listeners really enjoy um, hearing about Michigan and the high pressure and what you guys do to to get past that and uh we have a lot of michigan listeners i think there's just so many hunters in michigan is um it's pretty it's got to be pretty cool up there yeah i mean that's uh public land is definitely a
3: challenge here and um seems like the mobile hunting aspect of of, of it here is starting to or in the last couple of years has really caught fire and um which is a good thing so
1: yeah, the mobile hunting everywhere is really picking up. We started uh 3 years ago. Um, and from when we started to now, we were probably like 20 80, 80% hung, stamp pre-hung stands. The first year, now we're probably 70 30 hanging hanging hunt, 70% 30 hunt, 30%. Those ladder stands and stuff that you got where you got to be or those double man sets that you have hung, we still utilize those on the private um but we have we don't have any pre-hung stands on public.
2: Nope. So. And like when when we started out, you know, when when you were going to pack in, you're like, I'm going to do something, you yeah. know, like it was a it was a chore, you know, but now it's just like, all right, we're going to go hang and hunt, you Yeah, know, we're going to talk
1: about some gear in this episode too and that's where it changed for us when we, you know, we bought a little better gear. We weren't cuz we were packing in big game stands and sticks, you know what I mean, or or yeah, summit climbers heavy, and stuff heavy and, and bulky. <laughs> yeah, not not good, loud, heavy. Bulky didn't super hard to hang, but, uh, we got better. Um, got system down, but, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, let the listeners learn a little bit about you. So, uh, So, you know, give a little
3: background about myself.
1: I, uh, I grew up in a pretty big hunting
3: family. M- my, uh, my family wasn't as crazy, I guess, or obsessed about hunting as I was my grandpa. I think he just kind of liked being out with the guys passed it along to my my dad and my dad he he got the bug a little a little harder than than my grandpa had and and would really try to be successful and of course you know as a youngster watching my dad do it um i followed right along in his footsteps and he was the best hunter i knew so um he was always killing a buck every year and back when i first started hunting it wasn't about the size it was just if it was brown it was down if it had a rack on it and it was a legal deer to take you, you know you would take them and i want to say in the early years you could shoot two bucks during gun season and two bucks during bow season so you could shoot wow. four bucks total and i don't remember there being an age restriction or or a uh an antler restriction on them back in the day i mean it's been so long um and i was quite young when this happened um but i I tagged along with him and he was, he was, uh, what I would consider to be a hands-on daddy wanted me to be with him and taught me, um, the basics as a youngster, like what the, what a deer track was, what runs were in trails, what rubs were. Um, but he, he wasn't really into trying to, I mean all hunters, I guess, try to kill big bucks, but he, he was, he was happy with seeing bucks and, I don't think that he really interpreted big rubs and, and like we do now, when we break it down to a completely different aspect of hunting and, um, and that was fine for me at first. I mean, it was just about killing deer. And after several years of that, I, I want to say it was about 2003, I shot a decent basket rack and, uh, hung my bow up and just kind of was like, that was cool. And I remember thinking right after it happened, like, what do you mean that was cool? Like, normally you're geeked out of your, your head and, you know, there's something going on, you know, like, you know, you get that shaky feeling, you got to sit down. And and I knew that I needed to progress as a hunter and I'd always wanted to kill that elusive big buck. And here in Michigan, which is different than most other states, Most guys go a lifetime without killing a Pope and young class animal on private, let alone public. So it makes it very, very, uh, it's kind of like a lifetime achievement award for a lot of guys. And I'd never seen one out of all my dad's friends hunting. I would never even seen one on the back of somebody's tailgate growing up as a kid and, and, and going through it. So, uh, I kind of set a pretty lofty goal for myself and my dad kind of thought I was a little crazy and, um, during this time, um, I knew that being mobile was the key and I, I really went to look for the best mobile setup I could find. And like most other people that have gotten into it, I bought my very first lone wolf stand, which was an assault and a three pack of sticks. Eventually ended up purchasing the fourth stick later on, but that was my mobile setup, and it completely changed the game for me because not only could I get into any tree, I could get there quietly. It was half the work. It was you know, the lightest weight. Like, it was so compact. It, it, to me, it was very game-changing. And uh, after scouting and really putting forth the effort, I shot my first Pope and Young animal in 2004, ended up scoring just over 100. 132 I think now and uh there there was no going back after that that was it like that that was that was what started the journey then I knew I was never going to be able to shoot a deer to me that just wasn't going to get me excited anymore and I had reached a, a point in my hunting career that was like it like that that was it that was what I was born to do so to
1: speak yeah, we feel you there. Some we get that question a lot, and it's kind of hard to explain to people. But just like you said, you come to a point, you know, after you've killed so many deer that you're like, okay, I want to try to get something a little better. And then you sh- you shoot a like you said a basket rack. I don't know how many basket racks I've killed, and then you're like, okay, like it's time to. But when you shoot that first one, that's when you're like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, yeah, right. You know, when I shot that first big one off my grandpa's farm, I was like, all right, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm only going to kill big ones and, uh,
3: well, what's weird too. and, And maybe because I've talked to other guys that's had kind of, I wouldn't say the same exact progression, but a very similar progression. I can't say for you guys, because maybe it's different in the States that you hunt, like, you know, Illinois or, or some of the other bigger buck States where maybe it's more, it's more normal to see a bigger deer on someone's wall but like, I felt like I hit the lifetime achievement award. And I I remember for like two days, it, I I kept asking myself, like, where do I go from here? I'm done. Like, I I mean, I just did something that should have took me a lifetime. Like, I know no one that has won. And I was just like, like, I, I just won. I got the high score. Like, this is it. Like, and, and I really, like, I remember like, I didn't even want to hunt for a couple of days. I had another bug tag in my pocket and I just didn't want to hunt it for it because I thought like, it doesn't get any better than this. Like this is the pinnacle. And it took me a couple of days, man, to really figure out, like I could duplicate this, you know what I mean? Like I could, I could keep this as my goal. I could, you know, it's possible I could kill one or two every single year. Like this is possible.
1: Yeah. When I killed my first mid one forties with a bow, that's when I was like, Wow, I finally finally did it. You know, I finally accomplished that feat. So it's kind of the same thing as you. Um one like the the scale around here. Pope and young up there, it seems to be like the scale around here. A lot of people have one forties, but that's like a respectable yeah. Respectable buck, you know what I mean? And when yeah, well, I finally Michigan
3: has Michigan has this thing called the commemorative bucks of Michigan, which is like our And I don't know if Illinois has something of that nature where, like, if to make Illinois book, it has to be a certain score. But, like, in Michigan, we have a special award, like, just for bucks here that is very few and far between, and that's 100 inches with a bow.
1: Wow. That's insane, man.
3: Yeah, so you—and I'll tell you this. You drive down the road, and it's getting to be a little different now, but it's still— it still is an off factor. You pull up with a 100 to 105 inch deer on the back of your your truck or, or car or whatever you're hauling it with and pulling the gas station, you're going to get mobbed. <laughs> People are going to be like, oh my God, look at the
1: size of that deer. Like, where'd you shoot that?
3: All the questions come in and like, oh man, he's gorgeous. And I mean, I'm, I, I shit you not.
1: That's cool, man.
3: It, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, here, the mindset is just... It's starting to change, but as I grew up for the last twenty years, you know, maybe up until the last like two or three years, where quality deer management has kind of taken off a little bit and guys are starting to hold out for better deer because they want better deer, people go crazy. Like you're the talk of the town almost, so to speak. It's
1: it's insane. Yeah, I feel like everybody all around um, I just read yesterday that Illinois yearling buck was harvest was the lowest ever recorded last really? year. Yeah. That's so. a
3: great statistic though. You know what It I mean? is. Like oh yeah. It's you a hear awesome that statistic. you're happy as a hunter because you know that guys are, they're, they're, uh, itching the trigger fingers on does instead of younger bucks and they're passing and being more patient. And I, I really do think that has a lot to do with guys like that have podcasts like you guys that are other, company you know other different hunting entities that are willing to share knowledge and people are educating themselves to be better hunters and and that means and also being better stewards passing younger deer to let them mature and have a a a chance at actually obtaining a better quality you know not just antler size but more meat too
1: yeah for sure yeah there's um, I don't really know anybody that killed a yearling that I can think of in my head. So um, it was pretty cool to see that statistic. Um, the shotgun season was really bad yeah. for numbers, so it was like 10,000 lower than it normally is.
2: Like everybody we talk to on a daily basis or, you know, even friends on Facebook, You know, they're like, this is just absolutely crazy.
1: So it's surprising to me that that number isn't so much higher because everybody's like, I got a buck tag. Yeah, I want to fill it. You know, and the last day they're shooting yearling deer. So it was pretty cool to see that even though our shotgun season was so bad that they still weren't shooting. The numbers were still down. The numbers were still down. So I was blown away by that because I figured they would be up because I know a lot of people that – shotgun season's it for them. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. what they do. They get ready for shotgun season. They go out, they hunt and they got two weekends and then that's it. Um, so it was cool to see those numbers, but all right, man, well, we got to know a little bit more about you. Uh, what do you do for a living? Well, um, I was an engineer for the last,
3: I don't know, 10 years, several years. And I actually retired And uh, I had a pretty serious car accident in 2017 that really changed the scope of my life and kind of made me be very thankful that I'm still here today. And it made me look back at my life and say, do you want to work the rest of your life or do you want to do what you love for the rest of your life? And I took that chance to do what I loved and I started from bed to dead, and it was basically wanting to share knowledge and tactics and and adventures of not just myself but other like-minded people from Michigan um, that were getting it done year in year out, had success, um, understood you know deer movement, understood how to get on them, how to kill them and was willing to be able to present that to the public in a way that we weren't trying to tell people what to do, but more along the lines of like showing people like what has worked for us and to be able to create sort of like an open conversation and people to follow along to try to help them. And that could be just updates during the time period here in Michigan saying, Hey, it's been the first week of season. It's been slow. It's been hot. Um, Or we're starting to see bucks pick up. We've saw grunting, we've saw chasing, you know, kind of keeping that storyline along with the year and, and also filming it and being able to put a kind of a story together and be able to, to share that with the public. And so far we've got some really good traction, a lot of followers. And uh, we were in the middle of releasing our footage from last year. And uh, into this season, which we ended up killing as a group, I, I think nine nine bucks that scored. Um, I think the smallest one might have been one ten, um, and the biggest going mid one fifties, all off public land, you know. And then this COVID situation kind of hit, and then we had a stay at home order. We couldn't get out. We couldn't work with our editors, which our editors are in-house editors, but they live in Muskegon. And I'm from central Michigan. That's two and a half hours away from me. So like there was no way we were going to be able to get into contact to be able to do this. And if you guys know, you know, and I'm sure you do, trying to do it online compresses your video files and it just doesn't end up turning out very good at all. So we kind of had to put a back burner on that. But in, during this process, um, I ended up meeting Cody DeQuisto, and this was probably, oh, a year and a half, two years ago, maybe, probably a year and a half ago now. And, uh, he and I hit it off, like, immediately, like, we were almost like two peas in a pod. It was crazy. Our, our lives are so similar, um, And, uh, we just, we exchanged numbers and, um, started talking some more and, you know, and a good friend of ours, Byron Horton, who runs the Whitetail Experience, he actually is the one that introduced, sort of set up the meeting, as you would say, like to introduce each other. And he had told me like, man, you got to meet this guy, you know, and you got to meet Cody. And, uh, of course I knew who he was, you know what I mean? As an avid hunter, most people know who the DeQuistos are, so, like, I knew exactly who he was. And I and, uh, took the chance, met him, we hit it off, um, and then we just kept in touch. And um, I don't really know how it kind of got started, but it pretty much got presented like, hey, you know, he was watching some of our stuff and kind of seeing some of our content. And then, you know, of course, when you're exchanging information with somebody, you got to start talking about your deer, and your kills and um he just heard me talk about hunting and said dude you you know we'd love to have you here you know working with our brand with you know lone wolf custom gear because they just come out with the the custom gear line and you know of course me i was like are you kidding me like that's awesome because you know i was still focused on from bed to dead and and building that and so you know having a major player like that stand behind you was really big to me And we hadn't took a single sponsor ever in no nothing. Like I always said, like I would never take a sponsor if I didn't believe in who it was because I don't want to go and look at the public and tell somebody this is the best when maybe it's not the best for them. So I had a real difficult time ever wanting a sponsor. And then when they, when me and Cody started talking, it was a no brainer for me because I absolutely believe in their mobile hunting system from lone wolf to the point where it is now. And to me, every person, there's many options out there, but it's it to me it's the best. And I say that with a hundred percent not even a um, you know, it's not because it's brand endorsed, that's really how I feel. And uh, uh after, you know, kinda doing that, um, and then you know, brought, you know, advertising the brand and, and kind of going through there i was introduced to a guy by the name of justin hollinsworth he runs whitetail addictions on the video side of things and he approached me um, and i was introduced to him by andre cody's dad and uh me and him got to talking and he i shared my passion with him and kind of a little bit of knowledge and he was like man you know like since you guys are already video and everything else like what do you think about videoing for us? And I literally, I like, I remember it, I'm like, dude, don't be kidding me right now. Like, seriously, like, you know, cause I've followed along. I've watched all the YouTube videos of a lot of different things. You know, most people know who white tail addictions are too. So I was like, no, seriously. He's like, no, I'm serious, man. Like really? So I joined filming with them and, and you know, and kind of made it be like, Hey, look, I still have my, my company from bed to dead, but like, I'll do that as well. And then you know from all that you know that year and a half of communicating with them meeting them working the shows for lone wolf custom gear um and and being in pennsylvania and being at the iowa deer classic and being able to meet the people explain the about the product and and working close hand in hand with cody and andre and justin and so many more of the guys that are on the staff um i ended up um, just recently being offered a position within Lone Wolf Custom Gear as their quality control manager of the facility that produces and assembles all the stands and sticks in their product. So that is where I'm at from a professional standpoint
1: now. Nice, man. Props to you for chasing Dream. Yeah, mad respect to the DeQuistos, Mandy. From from his dad and Cody. They're straight killers and we've we've seen their product at the trade shows we 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 personally we have lone wolf we don't have any of the custom gear um but i can't deny it's it's some of the best out there i, I haven't used it personally so i can't say it is the best but um from the packability to the lightweight um we're good friends with bryron too and uh he awesome he shows up he you know he shows a lot on his videos and uh um, When they first came out, we were blown away. We mm-hmm. went the first ATA show, they were there. We went and checked them out, and then we checked them out last year. The tree arm, um, great, great gear, man. And uh, it like we just had a mobile episode, and uh, we were talking about you know, if you want to buy gear, buy the best that you possibly can with what money you have, and uh, yeah, that stand's yeah. going to last you forever. So I agree with you, man. They got a great line, and uh, like I well, said, it's mad all, respect it's to all both of them. made in
3: America, you know, I mean, it's made in America. It's United States, you know, materials. It's produced here, like everything about it. And it's got a lifetime warranty. And if most people understand the Lone Wolf quality brand, you know, they, yeah, in the beginning, there were some kinks that needed to be ironed out in a manufacturing issue, which has been taken care of. We've, we've completely moved to a different facility now. Way learning curve that you have, you know, getting back into the game again, but, We're getting ready to release our new, the DS five, um, along with the double step sticks, um, and some other new stuff that I can't exactly share yet, but, um, it's going to be, we're pushing for it ASAP. Like in June, people are going to be able to buy the stuff off the website.
1: Nice. Yeah. We checked out the new stand and the double sticks, um, seems like online a lot of people are wanting those double sticks yeah. we're part of the mobile um mobile united
3: uh mobile yeah, i'm actually united. the i'm actually the admin on oh that. oh yeah
1: yeah we're part of that group uh awesome and uh we're i like i said we're seventy percent mobile probably i would <laughs> say we're not a hundred percent every hunt but uh we do we we added up sixty hunts last year yeah we had sixty hunts that were hanging hunts um combined and uh we hunt together most of the time, so it's probably fifty. You know, um, maybe ten that we were separate. You think? Yeah, maybe. there's a few. Yeah, yeah, we we hunt together and film most of the time. But like I said, that's that's a great group. If any of our listeners are wanting to get in the mobile gear and wanting to check that group out, that's a great group to be a part of. A lot of knowledge in there already, and it's only been up for a week or I was saying, two it's been weeks. only a week and a half yeah so yeah,
3: it, it hasn't been very long and that's and that's exactly why we created or created that website um we we all sat down and brainstormed and we wanted a platform that could bring all brands all mobile hunters could talk about their equipment could talk about their knowledge could share their experience you know, without being silenced, without in fear of like what you can say and what you can't say, like, yes, we have two rules we have. Please don't bring advertisements asking for followers for your stuff or whatever else you can post your videos on there. But we just we find that we have there's too many issues when you start doing that. And and a lot of other people have an issue with that. Like and I don't know about you guys, but if somebody post a, a link and i click on it and i enjoy it i'm gonna follow it anyway so i don't really need to advertise for people to follow our stuff or or come check us out like that's to me that's where most people are already up with that and we just and then we don't get in religion or politics because that's that that's has a good that's a good idea it's nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with deer hunting yeah. Yeah, not, but, but otherwise that, like, you know, you can talk about what you feel like if there's something that you really, you know, as, as it gets brought up or there's something that you you want to ask the DeQuistos, if there's a topic you want to discuss, whether it's wind, it's thermals, it's scouting, it's food sources, you know, it's what time of the year, camera placements, you know, gear, you know, if you're gear driven, what's the best camo out there? What's the best, you know, warm, what's, what should I use for this? We're going to talk about it all, and it's the one place, one place. Yes, you've heard me right. I'm going to repeat it one more time. One place that you have full access to Andre DeQuisto and Cody DeQuisto that has never been done. Like, you can ask those two guys anything you want and learn from the guy that originally originated the first set of mobile sticks, the first mobile stand. Everybody that's came afterwards has used that as a carbon copy. He's the standard period. There's look it up.
1: Sandus. Yeah. You can't deny that. He's, he's well, way there back are some yeah. out
3: there that try, man. You know what I yeah. mean? There yeah. are some out there that try, but we, most of us guys who have done our research, we know, you know what I mean? We understand and we know. So, you know, and that's what's cool about that site to, to get going. And and that's another one of the kind of job titles I have is, you know, they came to me and said, Hey, you know, we want you to to run the site, you know, for us. And, and uh, if you, you know, just by listening to me now, like, dude, you got to really do something wrong in order for me to not want you on the page. Like, you know, you just be able to have fun and that's what it's about and, and growing and learning and sharing you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of responsibility. But like I said, man, like you got to like this is what I love to do. This is this is what I was born to do. You know, talk whitetails, hunt whitetails and share with other guys and be able to social network. And, you know, that's kind of what brought me to this point.
1: Nice, man. Well, we're glad you uh decided to come on here. Um Let's uh, let's get into a little bit of public land talk. So Michigan public land. Um, Go ahead and tell us kind of a rundown of how you approach it and how you hunt it. Well, I I would say one of the first, one of the first
3: things that you have to understand, and I think this probably goes for anywhere, but we're going to use it just for here is that you have to have an area that's going to hold the caliber deer that you're looking to shoot. You can't try to manifest an animal that doesn't exist in an area and waste your hunting season trying to hunt down so to speak a unicorn when it's just not living in that neck of the woods so the first and first thing i like to do is as soon as season's over and i guess i'll approach this from scouting new area i want to go to an area and absolutely tear it apart if it's a mile by mile by mile I'm going to walk every section of that mile. I'm going to walk the runs back to bedding sites. I am going to look for rubs, whether they were this year's or last year's or, you know, the pre-season's, to generational rubs. I'm looking at how big those rubs are, how high up are they. Um, I'm looking for fresh tracks that are still there that let me know that there's an animal of, you know, more likely bigger quality of that I might be looking for that's still alive, um, and then I sort of, kind of, and I use my Onyx all the time. As soon as I find big rubs, like I mark them on my Onyx. I don't always put big rubs, but I just I put down marked waypoints. If I find a really good bedding area where I see really good sign, then I'll mark it. And then when I'm done doing all my scouting in that area, I look back on that and then i can match that up with the aerial and and start to develop a game plan on okay what what places do i have to access is there a water access is there a creek in here is there a drainage is there a man-made path or a public path is there something that will allow me to get in here as undetected as possible not just from the animals that i'm hunting but also humans that other hunters that might be trying to hunt the same area that I'm in. And, um, I like to, I I would say that deer will tolerate certain intrusions in certain places, but as you move closer to where they're living, that tolerance becomes less and, uh, sort of like it's okay to bother them. It's not okay to badger them. So, um, that's where I kind of start. And then once I've developed, like really tore apart that area and let's just say i feel like there's a quality animal in there worth worth going after now mind you i haven't seen him yet this is after season i will go to the surrounding areas that are public and i will scour those and look for uh, potential pressured areas that deer might go to if he receives some pressure are there big rubs there are, is there, you know, big tracks there? Does he kind of, you know, is there something telling me that that deer will go there? He'll use that. And I do the same thing, mark that all up and kind of go through that whole situation. Then as it gets closer to season, I'll start glassing. I'll hang my game cameras on food sources um, and start paying attention and trying to lay eyes on what caliber animal this actually is. And if I can pattern him down, is he using this area again? You know, was this area, if I'm not seeing him in early season, I'm not getting cam photos of him. Well, maybe that was rut time sign. Maybe that was pre-rut sign. Maybe, you know, more likely with the rubs, it's not going to be post-rut sign. It could be, but I generally tend to lead the other way with it. So I kind of start learning when if I start getting him on early season and he's out in that field all the time, you know, beans or, or whatever, or I start getting him on an acorn flat all the time. Now I've determined number one, he's for sure alive. Number two, is he a shooter? Isn't he a shooter? Okay. He's a shooter. Now I'm going back to my notes and I'm also looking at those cam photos that are on the food source in an area where I can go check it like very sparingly, maybe on a rain day Or, you know, if I put the cameras in June, July, I might not go back till September, but I go through all those pictures, match up daytime photos to maybe within 45 minutes of when it got dark. And then I start marking those wind directions and start pinning him down on where I think that deer's living. And then once I kind of get a pretty good idea of it and I'm marching, you know, matching that up with the cam photos and maybe even my glassing. I have a pretty good starting point on where I've got that deer narrowed down and he's going to be at come season opener. And that's when the real chase begins, because up until this point, this is all just a piece of the puzzle. The main part of it is, is as I'm hunting, I'm also scouting. And if I'm not seeing them, I need to be moving to where I am seeing them. And, and that would be setting up where that deer is, where I keep thinking until I run into them. And then it's cuz it's a very you know you have to be very a uh, very fine line between being aggressive and also kind of sitting back and once i've seen that deer do the same thing more than one time i move in for the kill as long as it's in daylight activity then i move in and i'll keep making moves until i kill him or somebody else does
2: how, uh, how big of an area are you covering most of the time, and how many
3: cameras are you running? How big of an area am I covering? Um, well, for me, I am you. I usually have a couple different areas that I, you know, because you never want to just go after one buck alone. <laughs> like I, I usually have a couple, you know, I mean, well, most years I'll have two or three, and then I usually count on finding one, like a, I call it a bonus buck that usually I find when I'm trying to narrow another one down. Um, And depending on how big that deer will be, will be that. But I would say three or four areas that I really, really hone in on. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's the same three or four areas every year either. Mm -hmm. And camera wise, as many as it takes to cover the places that I feel like a camera needs to be. Early season, it's a little different because I'm trying to put them on food sources that could be apple trees, that could be acorn trees that, could, you know, most of the time it's beans or, and, and it's not right in the bean field. Usually it's on the travel corridors to the beans and I've got my camera either up higher or I've hidden it in a stump or somewhere else. Not only because I don't want the deer to detect it, but I like to keep my cameras. My camera is not someone else's.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. We had that problem last year. Yeah. Guys are sneaky, man. So we learned a lot of good tips on that last year. So even if you got a lock on it, make sure you lock the flippy door. (laughs) (laughs) If that door has a lock on it, you better have a zip tie or something on it, too, or they'll just pull the card and leave the cam. We're ready this year. Yeah, we're ready this year. But That's a a good approach, man. That's kind of how we do the same thing is kind of find where the bucks are, run a broad array of cameras, and then – try to work them back to where we, we think that we can get on them. Um, When you, uh, when you're looking at those cams, is there anything that are you going mostly off time? Are you going off wind direction? What's like the key factor that you know that, okay, I'm going to make a game plan and I'm going to move in now that I have this Intel.
3: Well, early season for me, depending on where the camera's placed. So if I've got cameras placed on say an acorn food source, I'm looking for daylight movement or within 30 minutes of dark movement. Cause that tells me that that deer is on its feet and consistent movement. And then I'm matching it with what the wind direction is. So if I'm learning a new area and I'm not sure when is this bedding area being used? Is it a West wind? Is it a Northwest wind? Is it an East wind? You know, until I figure out and say, okay, you know what I went, every time I have an East wind, this bedding area is, this deer showing up on camera, then I have a pretty good idea when it's an East wind, that deer likes to be in that spot. So I kind of do both. Like I want to see movement. I will be honest with you too. I don't really pay attention to midnight, one o'clock movement. Like if if it's two hours past daylight, the odds of being able to a hundred percent track that deer down, unless you had like a string of cameras, Deer can travel a mile in 15 minutes by walking alone. It doesn't take, you know, a deer very long to be able to visit a food source two and a half miles away. It's really hard sometimes to do that unless I, you know, unless it ends up being like, I see an absolute slammer and I'm just like, okay, I really want to go after this deer. I'll put forth a little effort into maybe, you know, looking to, I guess a place that I don't, maybe I didn't look before. Maybe I overlooked before. Um, but in my experience, that's not happening too often.
1: Yeah. We figured that out last year that they move a lot more than you think they do early season. And then it seems like for us, people are like, oh, they move a bunch in the rut, but it seemed like they're condensed in the rut. Yeah. And then early well, season, they they're moving to the food sources. So,
3: yep. They do because think of it this way. When those bucks are walking around and they're marking all their territory, they're running in the scrapes. And, and and I'm not saying that, look, there's always an exception to the rule. But most of the time, the pecking order has been established. Those bucks are keeping an eye on those doe groups. And those resident bucks in the area, they know right where they're at. They don't need to leave if there's a lot of does there and they're coming into heat sporadically. The only time they're gonna leave is leave is if a, a different doe comes into estrus from a, a different area, leads it back, uh, or maybe a bigger buck happens to come into their area. Same thing and pushes that one out. I mean, if the does are there, they're and there's food there, and the pressure's too up, you know, sort of a minimum. What what what? Why would a deer have to leave? He doesn't have to. You know what I mean? And these guys are some of these guys get a little confused by what they're seeing and at least i think it's confusion most of those younger bucks are not the breeding deer they're showing the signs of what breeding deer would do grunting chasing whatnot but you can tell the difference when a two and a half year old buck is running this doe all over and then the four and a half year old buck that he's with is just walking along and he don't give a shit
1: he, yeah, he knows where knows he needs to
3: go. go. He's he, like, yeah, you need three more days. Go, yeah. He knows that go is his. There's a difference. And he don't have to posture up that other buck. That little buck don't posture with him. Like, he already knows his thing. He's just going through the motions, you know? So yeah. I find that, a, you know, and that's why, too, in my neck of the woods – that some of my best betting areas are void of big rubs or any sort of thing because they don't need to mark their territory and say to other bucks, like, Hey, I live here. They're the dominant buck in the area. Like what buck is going to go into his betting area and try to take it over? Like they already know who's boss. So unless there's competition where there's like two or three big bucks trying to kind of battle over a betting area, the, the area, you know, I'm hunting bigger tracks, you know, 20,000 acre pieces of public. The dispersal is, is like, there's more than enough room for them. And, and several times I've seen them bucks bedded together, even during the rut.
1: Yeah, we see bucks together quite a bit in the mm-hmm. rut. And Big a lot ones, of, Yeah, a lot of times like, it's two of your targets like. that are cruising <laughs> together. You're like, what the heck? But uh, that's, that's a good you, topic you brought up is... If we you know, we well, think because
3: ab- guys want, you to believe that, that they're in that. And I'm not saying the competition won't, but the competition is only like that when the doe numbers are at a, a minimum, when the does are hard to find, that's when the bucks are in more, that's when you're going to see the bigger fighting. That's when you're going to see the more aggressive nature. You know, if, if there's 20 does in a square mile, or in this two hundred yard bedding circle, and there's two big bucks. They're not fighting each other over getting a doe. But if there's one doe per two miles, and two big bucks meet each other, it's about to be a throwdown.
1: Yeah, for sure. Something that you'd brought up about the big rubs. That's something we we talk about. There's not like our best rut hunting spots. There is isn't no those those like no no sign. You know. Mm early season we seem to see more bucks around sign you know what i mean but mm-hmm. during the rut and shotgun like later in the year that sign we don't see
2: oh well, i mean the last you know few years you know we found that sign and hung a cam on it 2 30 in the morning yeah like you know it's just all nocturnal mm-hmm. and we had talked about you know the the honey set like tore up
1: yeah all all, all all between
2: nominal. 1:30 and 4 a.m. Yeah. you know but if you just walk back there you're like holy shit like i'm i'm going i'm yeah. in the
1: money there's 6 7 ground scrapes tree scrapes everywhere horizontal rubs yeah i'm like oh this is this is it you know yeah. what i mean and then there's one picture in daylight the whole entire year <laughs> the of whole shooter year buck on the yeah. wrong wind yeah so i mean i just go to show here, you those those here,
3: here's the thing though with that okay i agree with what you guys are saying a lot of times here on public, sometimes it is that easy though. You walk into an area and it's destroyed and the first sit in, I catch the shooter on my feet and I'm like, whoa, like, you know what I mean? But there's there's things that go with that. So I'll try to get into that aspect of it a little. One thing I can tell you, and this is what I paid attention to more than anything else. If that sign is fresh, not two weeks ago fresh, I'm talking you walk in one day and you're trying to hunt this area and you see this big rub and you walk over there and you see some shavings on the ground and then you come back the next day because you're like well okay maybe i'm going to go in a little deeper and all of a sudden there's a third or second tree that pulls up and there's more shavings on the ground that deer is there you got to find him he's somewhere in that area now this is the part that, I, that gets me. Whether you, you, you know, even in my spots that I was telling you, my best hunting spots are void of rubs on the, uh, in the inside and, and mostly on the outside. Those, those big rubs I see are on the crop edges a mile and a half from bedding from where I'm seeing these deer at. But one thing that is always there is tracks, fresh sign. There'll be a scrape, there'll be a licking branch. And sometimes in those watery areas that I like to hunt, there isn't a scrape on the ground, but there is a branch that's tore up on a main travel corridor. And you'll see where the water doesn't have a chance to get scum on it because the trail is fresh going in. You know, you'll see it coming in, coming out bubbles, those tracks on the road, you know, that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that starts to get me when I'm, you know, because those funnels that show up on the map, like, like outstanding, and you see them, that's what every hunter sees too. And don't think that they ain't going there. That's where they're going to go. Like, it's a guarantee. You're looking for what I consider to be the overlooked funnels, and they might not even be funnels, but it's. will move through once there's pressure put in, and that could be a terrain feature that could be um, a slight elevation change. Um, it might just be, you know, a a transition area from cattails to, um, red brush or, or, you know, and I'm just giving a hypothetical here, but that's what I'm really keying in on. And then when you find those areas, you'll start to find the kind of sign that leads from bedding area to bedding area that becomes an area where, okay, I need to post up here because during the rut, like it's going to happen. He's going to cruise by. I know one will. And then those are those areas that are my all day sitters. And I normally don't have to sit there very many days before I end up finding what I'm looking for.
1: I like that tip, man. A lot of people say, hunt the fresh sign, Mm -hmm. but they don't break it down like that. So that makes more sense to me. You know, if you're seeing some sign there and the next day you go in, um, when I killed that nine pointer on public, um, was like six years ago or seven, something like that. Um, that's what had happened. I had seen a rub, I'd set up on it, nothing. The next day I went to hunt was Halloween night and there was like four more rubs. And I was Mm -hmm. like, "Holy shit, something's been in here fired up. And I think that's when, um, Evercom first came out. Oh yeah, and I had like put mm-hmm. some yeah. Evercom on that rub, and I was like, "Oh, that's this stuff's funny. got him fired up." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. he's, he's in here ripping stuff up, and I end up shooting that buck that night. And uh I had already had a stand pre-hung there, though. But um with that, you know, that makes because you hear that on a lot of podcasts: hunt the fresh sign, hunt the yeah. sign, and hunt the sign. But no one's yeah, breaking it down that? like you just did. Where that well, in my head, that makes sense. But yeah, that's probably and what I'm they're meaning. But for I'm me, not trying
3: to step on anybody's toes
1: here, okay?
3: Not at all. And I am probably not the most politically correct person. I like to say what's on my mind. I will tell you something that's happening in the industry, and you guys are podcasting, so you guys have probably seen it too. There are a lot of guys that like to use the lingo but don't know what the hell they're talking about.
1: Yeah, we see and that quite I'm a bit. i trying to
3: educate people and tell them, And they're pretending. There's numerous, you know, hunting people that are on YouTube, whatever. And they're try they they're using the lingo because they've heard other guys say it, but they can't really break it down so you can understand it. They don't really understand what they're what they're they heard it, but they didn't see it happen. And that's why it's different when you talk to a guy. And I'm not saying myself, but I'm I'm you've heard it from guys like the DeQuistos. When you're a hunter and they start talking about something and you can nod your head because you're like, yeah, I seen that. Yep, that's right. That makes sense. Cause I've I've seen this happen this way. I, that's how you know it's something worth writing down. It's something worth remembering because you know it's true. You've been able to visually see it with yourself. And I and I I always challenge people that that will that you know approach us or or, or that I talk to. If it doesn't work and you've never seen it, why would you still be using it? Why would you still be doing it? You know what I mean? Because a lot of guys get upset and they get burnt and they're like, dude, I must be doing something wrong. Like I found this one single bed and I sat over it like three different times at three different times. Man, I never saw a deer come out of there. I even went in there and tried to bump it and it was nothing. Well, man, there's so many more factors. And not only that, you're looking for primary bedding areas, not just one specific bed. Like, can it happen where one specific bed works? Yes, but you're looking for like super bedding. You know what I mean? Primary bedding, bedding where there's like many beds in it, many deer are bedding in there, not just bucks, but sometimes does too. Like you're looking for those best areas that are holding deer and trying to hone in on them and find out if there's a deer of the caliber that you're trying to go after. And yeah. if you can't put that into words for people to understand, then in my estimation, this is just my opinion, like I don't feel like you know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I could agree. We we hear a lot of people say that kind of stuff. We're always we always try to make sure and say, Hey, this is what we've learned, this is what works best for us, but it's probably wrong because we <laughs> we're not like any cold blooded killers. We've killed some bucks, but we've hunted, you know, for a while, but it's
2: always a last minute, last yeah. day, typical bullshit. It's always you know, <laughs> something's messed up.
1: But uh I like so how you said that too. That's what guys we guys the
3: determination,
1: perseverance guys. Like yeah. you put enough time in the woods that eventually it's gonna come. Yeah, that's that's the where I put us. You know, yeah. we're learning, we're getting better, but we're at that we're work we're just we're just earning them by working. You know, I mean we're just hunting a shitload and you I'm know. the
3: same way you guys are, you know what I mean? Like, yes, I'm applying knowledge, but you know, when I when I sit down and listen to guys like Andre talk and and you know, Heath, you know, Cisco and I, I listen to Troy Pottinger message on, on the Mobile Hunter United page, like, dude, those guys got my those guys got my undivided attention because they're killers.
1: Oh yeah. Like, Heath, oh, yeah. We had Heath on like episode yeah. seventy or something, man. It was th- insane.
3: Like, you know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying. Like people don't understand the wealth of knowledge that's out there, you know, and, and, and who to pay attention to. And and these guys don't go around bragging and showing all their wall off and everything else, but you just know, they know what they're talking about by being able to listen and learn from them. And these guys are so approachable. Like no stupid question is, is even possible. Like they love talking white tails you know, and I, you know, and I'm just learning, you know, compared to these guys who've been doing it for years, you know, I'm, I'm just a young buck, like learning how to get it done. And yeah, I, I've had some success and yeah, there's certain things that work well for me, but I'm not going to sit here and try to tell everybody that I reinvented the wheel or I'm doing something magical that someone else doesn't have. So you need to listen to me over here. Like I've I just took a lot of knowledge that's been passed down, and applied it. And yeah, I guess I have a few things that I do that are, you know, a little different, but you'll see a common thread with all the guys that are very successful. They're very detail oriented. They're very, I have a plan. I have a system. This is what I do. I know what I'm going to do. My backpack is packed precisely. Like they just, they know all their surroundings and it's, it's not by accident that they get they year in year out. They keep putting themselves in the best positions to kill the best deer that they can find and that they get on.
1: Yeah, I could agree. So it's like a lot of people, it's still fun hunting, but it's, to me, it's not a game. Like a lot of people, it's like, Oh yeah, I'm going hunting for me. It's like serious shit. Like it's time to go. And I feel like when you get to that point and you're like, okay, I always tell homie, we got to be in the right mindset. Cause we got to go in there. Like this could be it, you know, and it's hard to be like that every time you go. But yeah. I feel like those guys that are killers are, are the ones that a, every time they a, go in, they're ready. We call it the
3: grind, man. Like, you know what I mean? It is. It's a grind when you've been hunting 14 days, solid 4am wake up calls, getting home at 10, you're scratching your head, trying to figure out like, you know what, where, you know, I'm on that drive home and I'm like, dude, okay. I saw him. He was 80 yards out. Why well, wasn't here today? But yesterday I saw him a hundred yards out. Or how come I didn't see him to getting home and my mind's being racked by it. And I know I'm getting up at 4 a.m. the next day because I have, you know, I've came up with a game plan on the way here. And I'm I'm using those morning sits as my scouting sits too. Like it ain't just like I'm not fumbling in the dark, going in an area just blunderously like I'm 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 being very calculated. You know, to having that on the way home, to taking five bites out of my food and falling asleep, and my wife's grabbing my plate, waking me up at twelve, saying "baby, coming to bed," and I've got four hours to wake up and do it again. Like it's a grind. Like it ain't. It ain't just like, you know what I mean? We joke around about it, but like it ain't for the faint of heart, dude. Like, no. that's why we use the lightest weight gear. That's why, you know, that's why I endorse Long Wolf Custom Gear like I do, because that's a five, five and a quarter pound stand. You know, they're, they're DS five and their other stand, which, you know, the heaviest stand is seven and a half pounds, man. Like it's ridiculous. We, We can, you know, my total setup in the woods, camera arm, everything is just over 11 pounds. That stand that sticks and that's a camera arm that's insane for a guy who does it like i'm doing it and gets up every day don't miss a day is just constantly on the grind on the grind setting up taking down setting up taking down like that is insane
1: yeah you gotta have it man that if you had anything you know heavy if you had a heavy stand that third day going back you'd just be like I'm like I'm not, I'm not oh. gonna I'm not gonna make it this <laughs> afternoon, or I'm not gonna and make it. And you know,
3: it. and you know what it's like because you guys carried the big dog stands. Yeah. I I'm I I mean, you know what I'm saying. Before I first bought it, like I remember carrying a lock on stand and not the Windwalker originally, like the old LEM with the chain on it, and you know what I mean. And like going out and like it was heavy, and I remember like carrying these these like screwing steps and, and, you know, yeah, you look at one, you're like, Oh, it's not too heavy. But then you put like 15 in a pack and it's like eight <laughs> yeah. pounds. You
1: yeah. know, like, <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, Jesus. Like your geez.
3: wrists kill you. Like, and then, you know, there, it's just, it was a pain in the neck. Like it's so much. And then now, you know, with hunting this style, you know, the advancements that have come out now, it's, it's insane, you know, from, from guys that are hunting, you know, you know, from a, from a saddle and being able to use a platform like the ambush, to guys that are even bigger, you know, you've got bigger guys like, you know, like Jeremy Beck that's, that's, that's hunting and, you know, hauling his mobile setup back and forth. You know, they're trying to go with the best, lightest weight, sturdiest as possible for, for their style hunting. And that's what custom gear was really all about was the fact that we could customize to any hunter's needs, you know, and that's, that's why it's so imperative for, for me you know, to, and for, even for other guys, like you guys haven't got a chance to use it yet, but you know what? I hope one day you will. Cause once you actually get your hands on it, be able to put it together, like it is put your backpack on. It's not just that 11 pounds. Like I talked about, it's the way it sets on your back. It feels like half that weight. Like it's a, it's a tool just like anything else, just like your bow, just like your arrows, just like your broadheads. Like, and to me there is for, for my style hunting, I hunt sometimes two and a half miles back. And, you know, that's one way. Like I got to have a five pound stand or a seven and a half pound stand, like, because it makes it easier on me, you know, and I had back surgery from my accident. You know, those are major pluses to me, you know, and, and, and I have seen it numerous times on the forums where guys are like, well, I mean, don't be such a pussy. Like, well, why do you got to carry a 15 pound stand if you don't need to?
1: If someone's saying, don't be a pussy, they ain't doing it for two weeks
3: straight. But but, but that's my point though, is I hear those statements and I think to myself like, man, you must not hunt like I do because I'm not saying I can't do it, but my body is not going to like me for doing it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I want the lightest weight possible setup I can because of just how we talked about with the tactics I'm using. Like I'm not sitting the same spot very often. Like. Outside of the pre-rut rut, or if I know for a fact, like, look, I, I tomorrow the wind direction is going to be perfect for this. I got to be here. Like, my stand is in a new tree, in a new spot, even if it's 20 yards over, every single hunt. Like, I, I can't be afforded to have a setup that's not quiet or that's not mobile, that can't fit in any tree, that can't have the leveling
1: capabilities. You know, I, ca- I can't. Yeah, we understand that, man. Like I said, we started off with the stuff and um, we have what we have now. It works good. We got a good system, but I could see, you know, we would lose a couple pounds with the, you know, the custom gear and it packs super nice. Sticks are nice. Um, Not saying we won't ever try it, but we're kind of invested in what we got right now. But to all our listeners, man, if you're like, we just had the podcast a while back, back. buy the best possible gear you can with the money you got because in the long run, it's going to be worth it. And, Um, mm-hmm. um, if that's whatever brand it is man just get the best you can and go from there but the custom gear is it's no joke it's it's solid stuff we know multiple guys that run it and absolutely love it so um yeah. guys that we trust like byron and and uh and, he loves it man he does a lot of i mean all pack in hunts yeah. so yep so just like you yeah
3: but, and like i said like i'm not here to to tell you guys there isn't there are other options out there available and I tell guys this all the time, even when I'm at the shows, go look at all the other stuff. You might like something different, you know, like, in an honesty, like, you know, but once you've used it all and you've tried it all, I'll see you back here. Yeah, because <laughs> no one has the ability to put your backpack on your stand like this. No one's stand is even as close. There's not a stand out on the market right now that's even close to, to even our heaviest stand that we have. The way that the sticks pack, the way we don't have to use bungees, the aiders that you can use to shorten sticks. I mean, this is crazy, but the aider with a mini is longer than a full and it's half a pound lighter. Like, that's insane. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just those abilities to be able to do that. You know, and and like I said, it might not be for you. You might, you might be a muddy guy. There's a lot of guys that love muddy pro sticks. There's a lot of guys that are, you know, other brand stuff and there's nothing wrong with that. Because the equipment necessarily, and I'm a firm believer in having the best equipment you can. But if you if you perfected your system down, and you're quiet, and you're playing the wind, and you're putting all the work in,
1: that's what's going to kill your deer, man. That's,
3: that's going to kill them
1: for sure. With a nice equipment just makes the fifth day you doing it a little <laughs> easier to do it. Well,
3: it's, it's just about ease of setting up. It's about saving weight, which, you know, makes it better for that reason. But, you know, they were killing big deer long before, you know, mobile stands even came out. It's just something that helps and aids you in what you're trying to do and be able to repeat it continuously. That's really what it boils down to.
1: Sure. Well, man, we appreciate you coming on. This is a great episode, dude. I love, I love this chat. We could talk to you for a long time. I know that for (laughs) sure, but uh, go ahead and let the listeners know where they can find you and uh, where they can watch your videos when they come out and all that good stuff.
3: Okay. Well, we have a Facebook page from bed to dead. We're on Instagram. We have a YouTube channel Um, right now. We currently only have our trailer um, out right now because of the COVID situation, but we are working and it's going to be released before the hunting season this year. I believe we have seven episodes. Um, we do have some product reviews that are coming, but a lot, unlike a lot of other people who are doing the, like, unbox the product, but not really put it to the test. We're waiting for a whole season to be able to review those products. So I I know that they want to get out there, but we want to give everybody a representation of of you know what we're using and if it works um you can also find us and find me on the lone wolf custom gear uh page uh whitetail addictions mobile hunters united and for all those people like you know we said before that are looking to learn share their hunting experience just talk whitetails um for anything mobile hunting or hunting in general visit us, come join the page. We're not a private page. We're a public page. There's two rules, you know, no advertisements, no religion, no pol- You know, politics, otherwise that, like you can talk about what you want. Um, you know, within reason, you know, we do allow a little bit of swearing and stuff on there as long as people aren't going off on other people, but that's where you're going to be able to find me find our brand, you know, and uh, visit lonewolfcustomgear.com to find out any of the, potential sales that are going to be out when the release of certain things are out and look coming in June that our stands are going to be coming out in sticks and all of our products that you've seen at the ATAs and you've seen at the hunting shows. Um, It has been underway with the COVID finally starting to get lifted up. People are going to have an opportunity to get those before season starts. So if you've been waiting it's almost here.
1: Nice, man. Well, yeah, I second that. Join that mobile Hunters United. A lot of good people on there, a lot of good content. Um, stuff for people that have already been in the mobile game or people that are wanting to just learn. We get a lot of questions about mobile setups and how we're doing stuff. So that's a really good place to ask questions, like you said, and you can ask questions of people that actually know what they're doing instead <laughs> of us. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure yeah. <laughs> a pleasure talking to you, Jason, man. Uh, it's been an awesome podcast. I absolutely guys. I appreciate you having me on and uh look forward to following along with you guys uh
3: kind of how what your season is and uh and the future podcasts that you guys have
1: man i really enjoyed this episode um he broke down some tactics that people talk about but he kind of dove into them and explained it a little bit more which i feel like a lot more people need to do when they're talking about that And i think there's a lot of content that people can learn on this episode um whether they're just getting to hunt public ground or um, a lot of the stuff he was saying, like he's, you know, you start thinking about, it, you're nodding your head. We're both in here, like, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. you know. Um, so this is a great episode. We hope you guys enjoyed. Um, check him out on Bed to Dead, and uh, if you're in the market for some some uh, mobile gear, um, check out uh, Custom Gear. Great, great gear. Um, a lot of other gear on the market. Um, but like I said, we haven't ran Custom Gear, so we can't vouch for. What they are, what they got going on, but we've seen it pack super nice, and we also have a lot of buddies that are are running the stuff. Uh, shout out Byron from Whitetail Experience. Um, he got a little mention in this episode, and uh, he's he loves the loves the gear. So um, if you're wanting to get in the mobile game, like we said a couple episodes ago, we released one just of us talking about how we run mobile. Some setups, some gear that we use. Um, Go ahead and check that episode out if you haven't. Might learn something there. Um, Always do the right thing, leave a legacy, and White to Legacies out.